0: Scripture reading for this morning is from Psalm 90. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man, For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, in the evening it fades and withers. We are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days aright, to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, it's that time of year again. When your news feeds and your inboxes are flooded with advertisements for the slam dunk diet plan, the the deep discounts on daily planners, and the irresistible, unbeatable offers on gym memberships. New year, new you, right? Well, the odds are not in your favor. Around 80% of people who make New Year's resolutions have dropped them by the second week of February. (laughs) Uh, Many don't make it nearly that long. Research conducted by a fitness app, exercise app named Strava, uh, predicts that the day, get this, this is a little close to home. The day most people are likely to give up on their New Year's resolution is January 19th. <laughs> Strava calls that Quitter's Day. Oh, I know. It hurts, right? <laughs> uh, Health related resolutions are the most uh, frequent, the most popular, but 80% of people who start a gym membership in January have canceled their gym membership within five months. <laughs> I don't mean to be a downer, right? <laughs> Most of us, or I should say some of us, have been making a $10 monthly donation to Planet Fitness for a lot longer than five months, right? (laughs) All of us, though, we feel the pull of Quitter's Day, right? We should pursue better health. I'm I'm not saying we shouldn't, like, have a gym membership and actually go to the gym, we should pursue better health, not so we can measure our worth in the mirror or, or in, the, in the eyes of other people, but simply because these, these bodies are a gift from the Lord and we're called to steward them as, as well as we can. But again, we all feel the pull of Quitter's Day. It may not be a lack of willpower that does us in. In the end, it may be, and for all of us will be, simply the fact that our bodies break down our intellectual capacity diminishes, our memory fades, because we are not God. That's where Psalm 90 kicks in. Psalm 90 is more for Quitter's Day than for New Year's Day. Because the message of Psalm 90 is more likely to be heard by those who know that as good as it is to set a new personal record, you know, on the bench press at the gym, as good as that is, apart from God... We are rootless. We are transitory. We are momentary. As James says in James 4.14, we are a mist that appears for a while, for just a brief time, and then vanishes. So Psalm 90 gives us uh, encouragement to pursue something that the people of God throughout history have given themselves to pursuing with greater zeal than anything else that we might pursue on this earth, and that is a heart of wisdom. A heart of wisdom. I want to ask you, just look down at verse 12. Teach us to number our days that we might get, and just be honest in your heart with yourself for a moment. How would you end that verse normally? Teach me to number my days that I might lose some weight. Teach me to number my days that I might get a new personal record in the gym. Teach me to number my days that I might get out of debt. All these things are good things. But if the thing that we're asking God to help us number our days for, to really focus in on living for, to make the greatest priority in our life such that we're thinking about it every day, if that's anything less than a heart of wisdom, then we're falling short of what God offers us. And what he offers us in this passage in particular. There's a roadmap to wisdom laid out for us in Psalm 90. Moses, the author of Psalm 90, calls us first to face some very unsettling facts. And then second, he would remind us that our shelter is found in God's grace. And then third, he calls us to focus on the heart. So those are the three things we're going to consider briefly this morning. First the call to face the facts. And then second, the fact that our shelter is in grace. And then third, the need to focus on the heart as we head into a new year. But first, let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you uh, this morning for your grace, Lord, the fact that we are here the fact that we have breath in our lungs, the fact that we have a desire to even know you or know things about you, Lord, this is a gift from you. Lord, we pray that, that today as we, as we worship and as we spend time in your word, that you would be working powerfully by your spirit to draw us to you. Lord, those who are here this morning who may not, who may not know you and, and are here, Lord, perhaps for a reason that I can't quite articulate, but they're here nonetheless, Lord, would this be the day, we pray, that you would work in their heart? you would grant them that marvelous gift, that unimaginable grace of your salvation. And Lord, for those of us who by grace and grace alone do name you as our Savior, Lord, would you take this day and make it yet another day in which we can say you've treated us tenderly, you've helped us along the way, you've shown us mercy, you've reassured us of your love, all because you've given us your spirit and you work through your word by him. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so first, face the facts. And you see them in verses 2 through 11 in particular. I'm just going to just kind of touch on them briefly. The first fact that we have to face that's rather unsettling uh, is the fact that God is eternal and we are transient. God is eternal and we are transient. Take a look at verse 2. Verse two says, before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And then verse three and four, you return man to dust and say, return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past or as a watch in the night. God is the, God is the preexistent one. He is the timeless one. He's eternal. He's eternal. To say, like we read in verse two, I'm sorry, in verse four, for a thousand years in your sight or but as yesterday when it is passed or a watch in the night, that's uh, a, a same way it'd be as if from a time perspective, we're saying our, uh, our time, our days, our life, our momentary existence are equivalent to a drop of water in the ocean. All right, we are transient, we're momentary. If you look down at verse five, you sweep them away as with a flood, they are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning, in the morning it flourishes and is renewed, in the evening it fades and withers. God is unchanging and we are ever-fading There's just this, you know, cycle of renewal but fading. We're always, always breaking down, and we can't resist the force of time. It's like an ocean crashing on us. We're swept away as with a flood. We vanish like a dream. God is eternal. We are transient. That's the first fact that we need to face. The second is this. God's wrath is real and we are guilty. Take a look at verses seven through nine. For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. To have our, um, to have as we saw in verse seven, by your wrath we are dismayed. That idea of dis- being dismayed is just the idea that we can't do anything to resist it. Right, there's, We have no resources within ourselves to resist God's wrath. And then in verse 8, everything is seen. There's no way in we can, we can, which we can say, well, there's these mitigating circumstances going on in my heart, God. You don't know why I did that thing that I did. I know that that was wrong, but, but you don't really understand. And, and what verse 8 says is everything is seen. You set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of of your presence his wrath is real and it is deserved we spend our days under his judgment verse 9 all our days pass away under your wrath we bring our years to an end like a sigh and then back up in verse 3 you return man to dust and say return o children of man now you that echoes for you perhaps from genesis 319 where um god says dust you are and to dust you shall return but the hebrew word for dust here is not the same word as in Genesis 3:19. The word here in Psalm 90 is the word that has to do with that which is crushed or pulverized. In other words, our return to dust is in fact itself a reminder of God's wrath and our just deserts. So, a couple unsettling facts that we need to face. But then secondly, Moses says, we need to remember that our shelter is in God's grace. Shelter in grace. Now, the phrase shelter in place is a phrase that we've all very sadly grown accustomed to with the rise of uh, mass shootings throughout throughout the country throughout the world um, that idea of of school kids you know having to shelter in place because there's an active shooter on campus we've grown accustomed to hearing that kind of language in the news on a far too frequent basis The idea of sheltering in place is a a way of of hunkering down, of securing yourself, of of putting yourself in in an environment as best as you can where the threat that's outside of you will pass by you. Take a look at verse one. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. That word dwelling place can also be translated refuge or shelter. Lord, you have been our shelter. Look back at verse 7. We are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath, we are dismayed. You realize what God is saying to us through Psalm 90. The only place for you to find shelter from me is in me. There is no fleeing from my wrath. There's only fleeing to me that you might escape my wrath. Shelter In grace. Shelter in the grace of God. There's nowhere else to flee from the wrath that we deserve from God other than in God. God's love for you, if your hope is in Jesus Christ, is unfailing. Look at verse 14. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. God's love satisfies us in the morning. There's the day-by-day reality. With your steadfast love, the unfailing, unchanging, eternal, ever-fresh, steadfast love of God, there's our shelter. Even as we deal with the reality of dealing with the brokenness of the fall because we're sinful people, and we do die unless Jesus Christ comes back before we do. Shelter in grace. You do realize that if God himself is our refuge from God, then there's nowhere more secure that you could be. You are unimaginably safe right now. If the very wrath of God, the thing that you should ultimately fear more than anything else, is no longer that which you should fear, then is there anything else left to fear? And the answer is no. You are so safe right now if your shelter is the grace of God. No matter what happens in 2023, and we don't know what's going to happen in 2023, but no matter what happens in 2023, if your trust is in Jesus, if you are in him, then you are in grace and forever sheltered by a loving God. His wings, as it were, are sheltering you from anything that would come your way and everything that comes your way is by his grace as well ultimately for your good and for his glory shelter in grace but then third focus on the heart now take a look with me down there at verse 12 again Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Now, let's, let's look at those two words, wisdom and then heart. You remember from our, our study of Psalm 107 on Say So Sunday, that Sunday after Thanksgiving, when the redeemed of the Lord were able to, to say things that they were thanking God for. You remember how Psalm 107 ends. It talks about the fact that, that well, I don't remember how Psalm 107 ends, so let me look at it real quick. Isn't that great? Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. Okay, so wisdom, we said, as we looked at Psalm 107, has to do with skill in godly living. And the message of Psalm 107 is that the key to growing in skill in godly living is Contemplating, meditating on, thinking through, applying the reality of the steadfast love of the Lord. That was the message of Psalm 107 in a nutshell. So, again, coming back to wisdom wisdom is skill in godly living. So, those who are wise are able to make a choice that honors God whenever the choice is not a matter of right and wrong, but simply choosing the path that is. Most right, most glorifying to God, right? The, the wise are skillful in doing just that. When it comes to how you relate to people around you, whether the people who, who love you or people who don't love you, people who are in authority over you, or people who are in your charge, the wise are those who are able to, to deal with those relationships and engage in those relationships in the way that's most honoring to God. They can discern that. When it comes to our own bodies, when it comes to our health and our, our wealth and our time and our energy, the wise are those who are able to Uh, Live in the reality of all those things in the way that's most glorifying to God. That's wisdom. Wisdom is skill in godly living. But think about that word heart. Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. In the Old Testament, the heart is like the operating center of yourself. It has to do with your mind. It has to do with your affections. It has to do with your will. In other words, the heart in the Bible, has to do with everything you think, everything you love, and everything you choose. Everything you think, I mean, think about it, That's everything. Everything you think, everything you love, everything you choose flows from the heart. That's why Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep the heart, for from it flow the wellspring of life. So, number our days. Teach us, oh God, to number our days that we might gain or get a heart of wisdom. That everything that we are, all that we think, all that we feel, all that we love, all that we do, all that we choose, flows from a heart that is increasingly skilled in godly living. Now, I want to end with five words that all begin with the letter R. Wendy and I have been reminding ourselves of these r words regularly in our morning devotionals because at least for us anyway we feel like these five words that all begin with r are words that kind of help us think about what it would mean to go to god and say god help us to number our days that we might get this heart of wisdom i think the the five r words are seen in psalm 90 but i don't want to make you think that we went to psalm 90 and got these five r words from there Alright, So this is things that we're just using, words that we're looking to, that we remind ourselves of, that we can see at various places of Scripture. This is the difference, my dear friends, between exegesis and eisegesis. All right? Exegesis is you go to the Word and you pull out what's there. Eisegesis is you take some idea and bring it into Scripture. That's dangerous. That's not good. We're trying not to eisegete. Okay, I think that the things that we're talking, I'm, I'm qualifying this way too much, but you get the idea. All right, all right. So these are biblical principles, these five R's. I think that they are here in Psalm 90. I think that they're biblically supported and I'll stop justifying and just get on to the five R's. All right, and I'll, I'll couch them in these three, these three phrases. First, practice rhythms of grace for personal renewal. There's the first two R's, rhythms and renewal practice rhythms of grace for personal renewal. Take a look at verse 14 with me. Verse 14 says, "Satisfy us with the morning with your in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days." 14A rhythms, 14B renewal. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. There is the Daily, the perpetual, the regular, putting yourself, I like to say, I think of it this way, putting myself in the way of grace. Like I wake up in the morning, I think I need to put myself in a place where God's grace can just plow over me. Like I need to stand out in the road of God's grace so that the grace truck will hit me. That's rhythms of grace. It's getting, it's getting in God's word. It's being able to say, God, I, I believe your spirit dwells in me. I believe your spirit works powerfully through your word. I pray that as I come before this portion of your word this morning, that you will just plow me over, that you'll convict me of my sin, that you'll remind me of my humanity, that you'll remind me of your glory that you'll grant me that amazing and wonderful and undeserved gift of repentance and faith. That as I come before your word and I, I find myself bowed down and broken, you reach out to me as it were through your word, by your spirit to lift up my chin and say, Mark, I love you, you're mine. Lord, let that be my daily experience of your grace. That I might, 14B, rejoice and be glad all my days. There's renewal. There, there's a line. I don't let me think about it this way. Not so much a line as a as it is a river that has as its source the love of God in the cross of Christ that that leads to a greater a greater uh, like <laughs> you know Mississippi River flood of joy in our lives. Let's give you a couple of verses. You can write them down and you can trace the, the river from its source to your heart. Romans 5.18, God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There's, there's the eternal, unimaginable, vast source. The love of God demonstrated for us in the cross of Christ. 1 John 4.19 says we love because God first loved us. We are called to love. We're created to love God and other people. We find our greatest meaning and fulfillment as humans in loving God and loving other people. Our sin keeps us from doing just that. Because of our sin, we don't want to do that. Yet yeah, God demonstrated his love for us in the cross of Christ. We love because God first loved us. And then we read in uh, John 14, 15, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey what I command. That's, that's actually good news. That's not Jesus kind of saying, well, if you love me, you'll obey what I command. Jesus is saying, I know what's best for you. I I created you. You will find your greatest joy in loving me. And if you love me, you will obey what I command. You'll obey my commands. Your hope, your joy, your, your peace, your satisfaction in life flows from walking in obedience before me. If you love me, you'll do just that. Well, we love Jesus because he first loved us. The more we look to God, for a greater experience of his love for us, the more we will love Jesus. And Jesus says, as you obey me, as you love me, this is John 15, verse 11, my joy will be in you, that your joy will be full. Could you imagine Jesus' joy in you that your joy may be full, may be complete? There, there's, the, there's the river washing over you, the river of God's grace flowing from the cross, that your life, your days might be marked by this renewal that looks like joy. Jesus is joy. Joy he's giving you, that your joy might be full. All right, there's rhythms, renewal. Second, see your mundane routines as a means of restoration. So there's the third and the fourth R's. Routine. And restoration. Now, where do I get that? Take a look at verse 17. Verse 17 says, Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. I love that phrase, the work of our hands. Because you know what that reminds me of? The fact that most of our work is just mundane, it's just routine. We like to think of the work of the Lord as some grand and, and you know, work that will be recorded in history. Our great-great-great-grandkids will be talking about this great work that their great-great-great-grandparents did. And most of the work we do is just the getting on with life every day kind of work. It's just mundane. But God is the God of the mundane. Mundane. He cares about every little aspect of our lives. Everything that we do, whether we eat or drink, is to be done for the glory of God. Right? These things that we consider routine are actually a means under God's grace in which we're working to bring restoration. We're pushing back the effects of the fall. I love that phrase. I got that phrase from Wendy when she talked about her her gardening work that she does, the weeding. I'm like, how do you, weeding, ugh. She says, you know what? I'm pushing back the effects of the fall. With every weed I pull, I'm pushing back the effects of the fall. Our routines every day bring restoration because in working, work that's given by God to be good, established by him, the everyday normal work of our hands is a way in which we can be pushing back the effects of the fall. Imaging God in our work in a fallen world is a means of bringing restoration in the world. And for most of us, that's not some great and glorious, you know, history recording thing. It's just the routine things of life that we do. But because God is the God of the mundane, they matter. And so our everyday routines can be seen as a means of restoration as we do our work under the glory of God. And then the the fifth and final R has to do with Christ's return. And it's this. Live Corum Deo, I'll define that in a second. Live Corum Deo as you watch for Christ's return. Corum Deo, it's just a Latin phrase that has to do with before the face of God. I love the way R.C. Sproul defines what it means to live Corum Deo. R.C. Sproul says to live Corum Deo is to live one's entire life in the presence of God under the authority of God to the glory of God. That's life. That's, That's the good life. That's the life that we are created to live. In the presence of God, under the authority of God, for the glory of God. That's the good life. That's the life that we're created by God to live because of our sin and sin in the world. We don't live, and yet God by his grace has brought redemption in his son Jesus Christ that we might be reconciled to him and able to live in a way that is in fact quorum Deo, without fear, without dread, with great joy, for his glory, under his authority. That is actually the good life. It's the life worth pursuing. But as a Christian, that's not the end. The end is so much more glorious. Now I want to look at the you see the word return in here, but you know this is BC, this is before Christ, so they meant something different than by return than we do. But take a look with me still at uh, verse 12. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And then verse 13, return, O Lord, how long have pity on your servants. Now for the people of God that, that sang Psalm 90 and for us today as well, there's, I'll say, a lowercase r idea of return here and a large case r when it comes to return here, not in the Hebrew text, just using a metaphor, all right? The lowercase r is what you see here. God, we've sinned. Our sin has made a separation between us and you. We feel the weight of your displeasure. We feel the weight of your wrath. We feel the loss because of this separation. Will you return, O oh God? Have pity on us. And God at times, out of love for us, will cause us to feel a great sense of his absence, even though he's ever present with us. Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you, the author of Hebrews tells us. And yet God at times will withdraw, as it were, from our experience of him, that we might feel a sense of that loss and repent. Cry out to him, God, return. I miss you. I feel lost without you. Okay, there's the lowercase r. But ultimately, as Christians, because Christ has come, because he died on the cross, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, and has said to us, I will return. Our lives, Coram Deo, can be lived ever crying out, even so come Lord Jesus. We're looking for his return. Not simply because when Jesus returns, every tear will be wiped from every eye. As good as that will be. Not simply because everything that's broken will be healed and everything that's crooked will be made straight. Not just because of that, but simply because we will finally be with Jesus. We'll finally be with the one that we have come to love because he has loved us. Who we long to serve because he has so graciously served us in laying down his life for us. The one who we long to dwell with for eternity because he has given his spirit that we might never, ever, ever be apart from him. That's living quorum Deo. It is, in fact, longing for his return and living now in the light of his countenance. James 4.14, which I quoted uh, in the, at the top of the introduction, what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Mindful of that and given the grace that God has shown us in Jesus Christ, not just for eternity after we die, but for life now, will you hear the call of Psalm 90 to face those uncomfortable facts, to shelter in grace, And then give yourself in 2023 to focusing on the heart. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for Psalm 90. We thank you for this psalm that is written for those of us who feel or ought to feel. On the one hand, rootless in this world apart from you, transient and rightly under your wrath. And yet, having found shelter in you, we are forever rooted in your grace, looking forward to your return. Oh, Lord God, we pray that you would help us live this day and each and every day, numbering our days, that by your grace and grace alone, we may get a heart of wisdom. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.